go. That's life. What's up with that? Let's go. Because I always knock my strings out too. Because no matter how hard you play, you're always going to find a way to either stay in tune or randomly get out of tune. I do it every time. Yeah. Whether it's the stress of a live setting, red light fever, or just overplaying while practicing. Yeah, I mean, you just play too hard and knock it out of tune. Oh, yeah. Especially my Fender, dude. My Fender's notorious for going out of tune. That's not bad. <laughs> Shoot. You don't have to wear headphones. I'm gonna wear them just for a little bit, probably, just to make sure we sound good. Yeah, I saw a few saw a few people start out wearing them, then just take them off, hang them up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I don't know. I trust the audio to make sounds. No, this sounds good. I think we're all right. All right. Cool. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. Another episode of What's Up with That. Got Dylan here. What up? Yep. Um, this is going to be a really heavy guitar-based episode, so if you're not into guitar or not interested, it's probably not for you. But just letting you know from the jump. Um, so I first met Dylan um, in person at Greg's Fest when um, we were playing there. I was playing with Gotti Morano, and um, we pulled up in a hurry, just kind of skirted up on the scene, and then um, as soon as I started loading up, Dylan runs up and it's like, "What do you need help with?" Yeah. And I, I'd never had that happen before, honestly. So yeah, it was. I, I heard I heard of this guy just strictly through Connor Gibbons' episode on this podcast, and as soon as I saw him, I saw like how much he played guitar and the fact he's on our lineup on the show. I just knew I had to help him. You know, anything to uh, you know get get the ball rolling for a show. You know. Yeah, no, I mean, like, as as a musician, like, when you pull up to a show, you know, you're not usually expecting people to help you like that, you know, especially when you're doing, like, a small show like that was. And usually it's, usually you have to scramble to find the promoter, you know, to find uh, your other bands, because... Right, right, yeah, you're trying to find out what stage you're playing on, or w whatever it may be, yeah, yeah. absolutely. A lot, a lot of last-minute stuff. But yeah, but what I mean, like, what I mean, like, he helped me out was he uh, helped me load in my amp, plug everything up, and, like... Guitar player, guitar player, that means a, a, the world, you know, because especially um, when uh, I was actually on stage, you were telling me, like, turn up, you know, turn up a little bit, because a lot of time you can't hear what you sound like, so to have someone in the in the crowd to be like, hey, you know, you need to turn up a little bit, I appreciated that a lot. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, no matter what sound guy, no matter what sound guy you run into, you're always going to have to find your way to hear yourself, because it's up to the sound guy to push the main monitors and speakers out, the sound. Absolutely. Track main vocals, but when you're at a gig like that where none of the guitars are mic'd up or anything, like you gotta make yourself heard, make yourself heard through the audience and front stage. Yeah, we didn't even sound check or anything. We just exactly. pulled up, pulled up and played. Mm -hmm. Which honestly, those are my favorite shows. Me too. You Me just too. pull up, show up, and play. House parties, you know, shows like at Greg's Fest. It was just, it was just such an awesome vibe. Yeah, yeah, they had a lot of you know, just kind of local underground people there. Some some killer bands though. Oh the, God, yeah. I don't remember who it was, but the one that was on right when we pulled up, dude had a dress on. Yeah. Oh my god, I was especially I was especially blown away because like it was a, it wasn't just the performance of the songs; it was the performance of the character. Yeah, know? yeah. And like, it gave me Marilyn Manson vibes, I guess. But man, there's a placebo. There's that one band, placebo. That right, was, right. You know, it was popping off like a good amount of years ago. It just reminded me of that sound. Placebo comes up in this podcast so much; it's crazy. <laughs> But yeah, I was pretty impressed with them, though. Um, 
Yeah, shout out, out to Gregso. Yeah, sorry, Hazy Chambers too. That was another band that really stood out that that show. Like I'd never heard of them. Like I just saw their name on the lineup. I show up in front of their stage and they just they just had a great vibe too. I don't know if I saw them. I honestly didn't catch any names when we were there. We we were we were in such a hurry that day. We just were in and out, so I was just back and forth across all the stages that had bands, you know? Yeah. I would show up for the bands. Hell yeah. I wish I could have been there for your set, though. Y'all, y'all played, like, late, late in the night, though. Yeah. I think uh, third to last uh, compared to Lockjaw, I think. Jeez. Yeah, or second to last, I don't know. It's, it, that's good and bad, because, like, you, like half, of the, half of the, like, people are gone, but then the people that do stay are usually, like, core audience. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, they want to see you. I think a good amount of the audience showed up there for the wrestling, and I respect that. You know, people people love wrestling events, mm-hmm. whether it's professionally done, you know, just or just scrap, randomly scrap put together. My first like experience with wrestling, just watching it, was just a midget wrestling match that happened outside of uh, I forgot what the restaurant was, but it was off seventy five and uh, Spring Creek and Plano, and uh, I just remember pulling up there. You know, the main thing that stood out was this one. This one vehicle was a Mach 5 replica, you know, from Speed Racer. Oh, okay. That's and pretty it cool. it turned out that was Russ Martin's car. Russ oh, Martin's nice. And then, yeah. yeah. Rest in peace. Right. Yeah. I grew up listening to Russ Martin. Yeah, me too. I, yeah, I used to love listening to all his little skits he'd do. Because, like, he was, like, the first person I, like, heard in Dallas. I would do, like, those, like, skits on the radio and shit. Yeah, yeah me too. Like, back in the day. And then, like, I don't know. You kind of knew he was, going like, on his way out. Sure. Like, if you listen to, like, the last year he was on, like, he was, like, barely there, sick all the fucking time. Yeah, he was doing doing it from home, yeah. wouldn't even go to the studio. I mean, they, they found his body at, like, at his house, you know. Yeah. yeah. Rest in peace for us, Martin, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, there's, like, no one else in Dallas that, like, I want to listen to, like, yeah. on, on the radio. Like, like, fuck all that, all the other shit. It's just, like, poppy, like, radio, like... I used to I used to really want a single on radio on modern rock radio, but I don't even know what modern rock radio is supposed to sound like these days. You know. Well, now, like specifically, like this in Dallas, they just got rid of the fucking the radio station we're talking about, the Eagle. Eagle yeah. It's fucking gone now, and that was like what we all like somewhat grew up on. Mm-hmm. It, there was other stuff before that, but. I remember, I remember it was the Edge for a little bit, and it used mm-hmm. to host the uh, Edge Fest. Edge Fest was awesome, dude. Oh, I, I, I came every, I went every time I could. I even skipped prom. I skipped my prom for that show. Right. I had a great time. I saw Cage the Elephant there. I saw Cake. Me too. Cake was awesome, dude. Probably went to all the same ones. Maybe. Uh, did you go to the one where Blink-182 headlined? No, I didn't go to that one. Oh, that was that was a good trip. I, I saw I saw them uh, like two years ago though. They're pretty sick. Well. I heard their ticket prices are going to be especially expensive this go around. That's what I keep hearing too. They're super expensive. I hadn't really looked at the prices though, honestly. Yeah. But I, I don't know what the big fucking deal is because like they're just playing the same shit. On I mean the lineups back to the original lineup, but it's it's not like My Chemical Romance. I know. You know, like the, a band that like broke up and like didn't play for like ten years and now they're playing again and had like such a like generational impact. You know. Oh yeah. Like I'm sure like Blink had a pretty big impact too, but they've they've been around in the scene. Still, yeah, far more, far more active, uh, especially you know with each of their side, each of their side projects from the from the very beginning of uh, the core lineup that we know now, Blink. Ever since then, those side projects, you know, got got placed on like talk shows and stuff, and mm-hmm. the sound was good and familiar to the audience. And I feel like that's especially how people respected them because uh, they're not just one trick ponies. They uh, they know how to 
they know how to come across on a record, the individual musicians. You know, Travis Barker knows how to really fucking nail any song. Yeah, you know when it's Travis playing. Yeah, yeah no no doubt. Same thing with Mark Hoppus. Like, every every song he guessed it on, you can tell it's his voice, his layer, mm-hmm. his hands. He just... Mark Hobbes alone was the biggest influence on pop punk. I personally, I personally think. I, I think him and Barker for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the whole like pop punk style of playing drums is based off of Travis Barker. Oh yeah. Like he, he pretty much invented that whole thing, and MGK ran with it. Oh yeah. You know. I mean, what makes pop punk pop punk is the dynamics that people can take full advantage of. You can write three chord songs all you want. But you got to have some energy fucking behind it. Yeah. With the drummer, bassist, guitarist, you know, vocals, whatever other layers you want to add. You know, you can even add violin to it, you know, make it make it pop off fucking Ocean Avenue with the violin layer. That was that was beautiful. Dude, I used to love that part about uh, Yellow Car. That was like really what made them stand out to me was the violin in it. Yeah. I remember seeing them live. It was awesome. Oh, I bet that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, they had, they had some sick tracks back in the day. The whole pop punk scene is like having like a resurgence lately, though. The past couple of years. And I hate to say it, but I feel like the new resurgence is coming out with songs that sound more the same than in the past. At least that's what I think. Yeah. Some more chord progressions, you know, the the energy levels, you know, are kind of predictable, you know, when a song is going to pick up the energy, you know, full time, half time and stuff. I had someone tell me one time, MGK sounds like um, what you would, it, like, if you were to write like a punk song like stereotypical lyrics like that's exactly what his like his lyrics are when he writes like pop punk stuff yeah oh my god did he have a song called punk rock girl i didn't listen to the records info I only he's got emo to girl emo girl yeah yeah that was the song though. yeah at once once that track came out like i like i've been a big long time mgk fan for a long time but like once he got into that whole scene it, he kind of faded for me right there i mean mm. Long-time fans can say that. Um, Pop-punk fans that are trying to pick up new bands may say that. But I think casual music fans aren't catching on to that. I'm talking about, like, the uh, music review channels, you know? Mm-hmm. Like a hip-hop, uh, hip-hop artist, hip-hop fan listens to pop-punk for the first time. Or, or opera vocal coach listens to Metallica for the first time. Yeah. And you can see how some of these people transform their opinions and taste over just getting reactions to that. And that that opera that opera singer who was reacting to Metallica, she ended up checking out a. Uh, oh my God, what was the band? What was the band? Uh, Slipknot. She looked up Slipknot and just talked about how dark the lyrics were and just how graspy Cor- Corey's voice could get on his quiet parts. You know. Yeah. Push my fingers into my eye. Yeah, stuff like that. And just how much it would hurt a seasoned <clears throat> opera singer to be at that for like maybe an hour tracking. Mm-hmm. That, that would hurt. I mean, they they shred their voice, dude. Oh, Uh, I mean, he got to track one vocal line after uh, 
he got hit with a uh, I forgot if it was I forgot if it was a candle that was that was lit or a candle that was just done being lit and it was just the melted candle wax but that was all over his face <laughs> yeah yeah it happened at a uh, sound city uh sound city studio when he was recording yeah uh i forgot which producer did it it wasn't rick rubin he's he's a he's a sweetheart from the people i've seen i love rick rubin dude awesome. yeah that dude's like a musical like sage you know he gets like the best out of people he doesn't he doesn't necessarily push people out of his comfort zone, their comfort zone, but he picks the right level of suggestion to the artist, whether it's Tom Petty at the time, uh, mm-hmm. Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, he knows how to he knows how to help a musician refine their spirit and put it into lyrics or the whole song as a whole. Really, I think he just purely chased in like that magic, like the magic, like music moments. You know, like and I heard him say that like one time is like uh, if you're not ready to put something out and if it's not great. If you don't think it's great, it's not great. If it, you know what I mean? Then don't put it out. Mm-hmm. If it's not great, it's not, you're not ready to put it out. Exactly. If you if you think that it's just okay, it's, it's not great. Yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much my thing with the songs I've been trying to write over the years. Like, of course, I've been doing guitar with uh, Connor Gibbons, but ever since I first started playing guitar, I was really trying to write songs for myself, songs that helped me through high school, through you know personal you know issues I had in life, you know. I wasn't really like writing for an audience. I was trying to write for myself and just. You I know, feel that. Yeah. Notes in my, in my, uh, That's how it was for me, dude. I never wrote to like play for anybody. It was just in my room, you know, just playing riffs and stuff. I mean, the only people, the only people that saw me play before I got with Connor was just people at the at the performing arts center in uh, Allen High School. I would just bring my acoustic. I'll bring this guitar there like every Friday after classes and just just play songs until people got sick of me. Right. Right. And uh, funny thing, funny thing about this guitar, like, ooh, but uh, this is the first guitar, this is the first acoustic guitar I was gifted, or like given since my journey playing guitar, and this guitar actually survived a fall down a flight of stairs. No way. So there's this guy that was like really messing with my friend group, like really being a bully, you know, saying, you know, saying rude things, you know, tripping them, you know, um... Not straight up assault, but just stuff along those lines, whatever. And he threw it down the stairs or something? I carried it like a backpack on my on my strap. He literally cut the strap from under me. I don't know how he got a pair of scissors, and he just threw it. He didn't he didn't roll it down a flight of stairs. He threw it from, like, over edge, you know, railing on again. It's like a scene from a movie. Yeah. And uh, I didn't do anything in response. Just like a soft shell, soft shell case? Yeah. Like, like a backpack case? Yeah. I think it's... I decided to get a replacement of it, but it's literally the same as this one. Yeah, that's that's not protected much. <laughs> uh, really isn't that that just protects from like scratches and shit. Yeah, plenty of scratches on it. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, that's pretty much my only acoustic I've had uh, since beginning playing guitar. I had a Taylor, I had a Taylor acoustic, a Taylor Big Baby, and I ended up selling that for a classical guitar. By the time I went to college, trying to pick up classical guitar, that didn't. <laughs> That didn't end up well. Yeah, I've never been into classical, like, like nylon string. Yeah, yeah, I've never well, been into that. It was the, it was the compositions they had me learn. It wasn't like the classical standards, you know, Pachelbel's Canon and D or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was, it was some interesting stuff. Like at the time, like trying to come up with songs myself, it, it was a nice influence. It was a good influence. No, I re- I respect it in the sense of like like shred metal is just classical. 
It, it's just what it is. Just Marty Freeman, um, fucking Sinister Gates. Exactly. Yeah. Randy Rhodes. Yeah, Randy Rhodes. It's all just classical guitar with distortion. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And just played so well. Yeah. Each, each note is heard and <clears throat> articulated so well on the records. Mm-hmm. And I, I stopped that journey. I stopped that journey in classical after, like, I guess a year and a half. I, I remember the song. The song was called "Imminent Loss," and that was my, that was my song to learn for a for a final exam. And I got so frustrated. I I was at my house practicing the song every every day. And that's what it takes. You yeah. have to do it every fucking day. And my teacher, my teacher didn't believe me when I told him I played every day. But I just, I wasn't wholehearted and into classical i was just using it as a stepping stone to move on and as soon as i realized that for myself i kind of went half-assed at it and whenever i say half-assed i'm talking about like retaining the memory of it memory of the song you know i can hold on to green day songs my whole life probably i can hold on to <laughs> right Fires, yeah scorpions guns and roses song that's the stuff you like yeah I grew it's, up it's easy to remember my that family my family uh you know really put those records in front of me you know both sides <clears throat> of my family mom and dad but uh but what put me over the edge for classical was um, it was literally just the it was literally just the last uh, solo. I, I was listening to the record and my solo was just uh, one little layer. It, it's more simple, like recalling it now, like what the melody sounds like. You just got to hear the song to yeah, really yeah. know what I'm talking about. But it's more simple than I thought it was back then. I I got frustrated and threw my classical guitar down a flight of stairs, not with the case, <laughs> and also with the music stanza and with the sheet music. Right, right. I bent the music stand, and not a single scratch was put on that nylon string guitar. I still have it to this day. <laughs> That's wild, dude. Strangely. Do you always just throw your guitars downstairs? <laughs> <laughs> it just ends up that way. I mean, Connor, Connor will tell you, whenever we put together a set list, I'm like, all right, this last song, I'm probably going to get a cheap guitar and just smash it, but... Dude, have you smashed a guitar before? I really haven't. It's very fun. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. I've bu- I've bought a pawn shop guitar and smashed it before. I smash a Rock Band three uh, Strat guitar. That kind of counts. counts. It kind of counts. Yeah, yeah. No, but it, I've smashed like I remember my mom gave me like a little cheap acoustic one time, and me and my buddy were dude, we were like like seventeen. Mm-hmm. Didn't give a shit. I just went out in the street and I was like, let's go smash it. Just fucking smashed it in the street. It's it's very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially, uh, especially seeing all the little pieces inside of like, an acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah. The design of it. You ever seen like the very like close-up image of like an inside? Of, looks like a like like modern like. Modern art. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Architecture type shit. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful, man. Uh, what's like your dream acoustic you could get? I used to love the Martin J200s or J180s. Um, Billy Joe from Green Day used yep. them live a lot, but I can't remember the exact number of the model, but it was a. It was a Taylor acoustic. Um, I remember being a concert series. I'm um, steel steel strings, you know, not a nylon. But man, I I just gotta get another Taylor guitar, you know, another good high end one. And yeah, yeah. I think you can't go wrong with a Martin or a Taylor. Mm-hmm. Either one of those, I'm happy with, honestly. Oh, yeah. Those are those are like tried and true classic. Like gonna be a nice sounding acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. no matter like the string gauge or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well. There was this one Gibson parlor acoustic that uh, my cousin let me try out. Well, friend of a cousin. And uh, I actually wrote, I wrote one song. It was the only acoustic song I ever showed to uh, Connor and them. Um, Connor and our producer, Brandon. Shout out to uh, Jay Spinner. Um, he told me, 
he told me that was a beautiful song and it just needs to find its place. Yeah. I need to finish writing the lyrics. And first time I tracked it, I, I got nervous behind the mic. I laid the acoustic track fine. You know, we got the placement beat, you know, just keeping the pace. And by the time I was singing, I just, I got nervous. I choked up every line and I just decided to just, you know, drop that song for now, keep working on Connor's songs. And the songs I did with Connor after that were just great. Like, well, I think you said it. Like, it's, you just got to find a place for it. You know, there's a time in music so situational, dude. I say it all the time. Like, it's it's so, like, of the time you're doing it. If you're not feeling it at the time, either scrap it or come back to it because it, it, you're, you're not going to find it right there. It's obviously not the time. And, uh, and when I want to write my songs, it may be my pride getting in the way, but I really want to write it all by myself. Like, not just the arrangement, but the lyrics, you know? Mm-hmm. And Connor's just a great songwriter with lyrics, like just how he expresses himself. Oh yeah, I love Connor's lyrics, dude. He he that's really what's like stood out to me was his lyricism and like just songwriting in general. I remember I remember the Down Bad E P we <clears throat> we temporarily had out, but it's no longer on streaming services now. But the tracking of those songs were literally just, you know, half the time it was just a background beat and he would just uh, come up with like a lyrical hook. And then I just came up with like a guitar loop, I think, uh, per section. Everything on the spot like yeah, that. That's spot. what I mean by it. music so situational like that and in the moment type shit. That's how you get the best stuff, I think. And uh, Connor and I, we feed off each other so well when he's behind a drum kit and I'm on guitar. Yeah. And uh, we had our first band, Civic Duty, and I tried to write all the songs, and I think I did a pretty good job on those. Unfortunately, the, the EP isn't out now anymore. Uh, I just have them on CDs, but going back, listening to them, uh, I gave a good attempt singing. I remember being si- sick for one of the songs, but Connor, uh, Connor really helped me, really helped me figure out like what it means to write a good song, because. Growing up, I loved like prog rock, you yeah. know, um, King Crimson, Rush. You know, I love all those complicated stuff. Tool, I'm a big, big fucking Tool fan. But uh, Connor told me whenever we were free jamming, he said, "Dylan, just come up with a song: A section, B section, guitar solo. Let our bassist have a bass solo. He loves bass solos. Oh, yeah. Let me have a drum solo. I want to have a drum solo." And like the songs we came out with on that The Way EP, I think it was five songs. It it was just a great showcase of what we were doing at the time. We had like it can really be that simple. Yeah. It was ABC. And it was all done in the same room in, I think, two back back and forth days. Yeah. Like Alec just uh, had the recording software. Um, you know, I think we I think we used my soundboard just for just for tracking drums, and we just we level we leveled it on the regular soundboard, and then we just fed the single track of drums just into it. So, if I if I ever do show off like that record, you'll notice that Connor's drums are quiet. Right. Quiet. We just, we just. Because you, you took it in as one track. Yeah. So yeah. Sure. I, I get that. The first, uh, like the first like studio recordings that I have are just like that. Drums are one tracked. Um, everything was recorded on like a eight track recorder, just like this. Mm-hmm. And then they just stacked everything. Yeah. So it was, it was very like almost like an analog experience, yeah. but not. But I loved it, dude. It was it was for like my first experience, like doing it. It was super, like, all right, just play. Yeah. You know. I mean, my favorite thing about being a musician solely is just the moment that you share with other musicians in a room or a studio or on stage. 
you're feeding off each other. I don't, I don't even listen to monitors whenever I'm playing live. I'm listening to the guys on stage, the drummer's kick, you know, pattern. You exactly. Know, That's why I don't like to play with in-ears because I want to hear, I need to hear everybody else. Yeah. I don't want, like, of course I want, like, a PA so I can hear myself, mm -hmm. but I want to hear everybody else, too, because there's, there's timing cues I need to hear. Oh, yeah. There's, um, yeah, I just need to hear, like, different things, lyrical cues, uh, drum cues, whatever it might be, you know. So I, I like to be able to hear everybody rather than just myself. And uh, my my music journey really consists of just really just being invited on stage for cover band shows. I I met this one musician, Jet Tessman. Uh, shout out Jet Tessman of Foreplay, and also uh, Kurt um, Kurt Loderman, his guitarist, and Bill Bill Heyman, the uh, bassist. Um, I remember. I remember going to this restaurant, Shuck and Jive, a really good Cajun food spot. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that. I frequented there for uh, for uh, poker nights, and I got knocked out in the free poker league early. Just decided to wait on my dad. He was my uh, he was my ride, and I just chilled and watched the cover band. And by the time they got to playing, they snuck in some of their original songs as their band foreplay before they released. As you do. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and I was I was really impressed. It was stripped down, simple. It was exactly what Connor was telling me about. It was just A section, B section, yeah. A section, maybe add a few layers for a solo and stuff. And uh, I remember in between sets, I complimented them, and they're like, yo, ch look at our set list. You probably play guitar too. I know you're watching Kurt's, you know, the guitar's fingers most of the time. And mm -hmm. like, yeah, sure, I was. And I said, oh, I know this song. Oh, I know this song. Play him. Take take a Kirk's uh, guitar rig, just play him. American Idiot, all small things. And they just invited me on stage, played it, and he said, all right, we're going to be back here at this date, I'll learn these cover songs. Um, oh, no way, just like that. They really plugged me in, at least um, to get me stage time and used to uh, the stress. Yeah. Because whenever you're playing cover band gigs, people want to dance to you playing the song faithfully you know, playing it well. Yeah, they want to hear the, the song. The first time I... How it's how it came out, you know? Oh, yeah. The first time I played with them, I actually knocked two strings out of tune, like, really badly, because I was hammering on someone else's guitar hard. That's mm -hmm. a big no-no. Yeah. Like, a I guitar tried, you don't know. I tr yeah, I tried to go all Green Day in on it, mm -hmm. you know, like, the whole arm motion, and just knocked some strings out of tune. I was like, all right, next time I'll bring my guitar. Okay. Oh, snapped a string on one of the songs. All right, that's, that's all the stage time I can get. And each time I was get, getting better, you know, learning uh, learning some more covers. I did want to learn one of their originals. I did want to, but I respected their chemistry. I respected those three's chemistry and whatever drummer they brought in. Like, almost every gig, they had, like, a different drummer, someone that they hired in, and they would always joke on stage, all right, we're going to play this just like in band practice. We don't have band practice. Oh, that's right. We don't do band practice. <laughs> Dude, I was talking to uh, Ricky Mitchell of Late Night Call, and uh, it, they're such an incredible band, and it blew me away when he, he said that they don't practice. Mm -hmm. They just kind of perform live, and that's that's what you get. And I don't know, it's, it's fucking incredible, honestly. They, they do their, like, live shows on the street, mm -hmm. and it's 90% improvised, yeah. you know? So that's kind of their band practice. It's just like that. I mean... Whenever you get to a certain level as a musician, you start to realize that a song is just its own product. It's what the audience is going to hear through streaming sites, and they get an idea of what a song sounds like. Right, right.
by the time you see them live, by the time you see a band live, it's going to be different. It, it really is going to be different if they're not depending on backing tracks. You know, the pace of the song is going to be different. The guitarist may add some more. You know, and that can make or break for you. It really can. Like, you can, you can, like, love a fucking song and then go see it live and be like, what the fuck was that? Like, the, they're having a bad day or homeboy sounds totally different on stage or whatever it is you know i mean it's not it's not like it's not like some other bands that just drag their three minute song and pick one section to drag for seven extra minutes doing freestyles talking with the crowd yeah crowd participation i personally don't care for that um i probably would do that if like i was part of a project that was big you know like big like michael jackson or something but eh. I like playing songs, song songs, and I want to get on to the next badass song. Right. I want to show people a lot of great, beautiful things, not just one thing that they can get tired of. Also, you want to keep the energy. Oh, yeah. If you, if you like, stop and, like, talk in the middle and, like, you're just, just keeping the backtrack, you know, like, that's, that's kind of boring. Yeah. You're, you're going, like, and just letting everything, like, roller coaster at that I point. I mean, Connor... Connor did a good job doing that with one of our old songs, uh, Young, which was off the Down Bad EP. We've been playing the song Young at our live shows consistently now with the band, and we, I don't know if we do it in the middle of the song or just at the end, but we usually have a moment of silence for the people that the song's dedicated to, the people that were taken away from us. That's different. See, that's different. Yeah. But if, if you're going and you're just like doing banter in the middle of a song, that's different. Yeah. I feel like you're pandering to an audience at that point, mm-hmm. you know? You're just giving them what they want and trying to, like, I don't know. It's just kind of cheesy. Mm-hmm. I like to keep the energy going. How long have you been playing with Connor, though? Let's see. We we met in freshman year of high school, and we would just we would roast each other across a uh, lunch table. But then he just brought up, hey, my friend Steven's bringing his guitar over to my garage. Yeah. He got a drum set from a garage sale or something. I forgot what the story was of that, but I just went to the garage, um, he started playing Holiday by Green Day, Stephen did, and I kind of learned the song on the spot. Like, I was a fan of Green Day at the time, but, like, I didn't realize, like, oh, like, Holiday, the song I heard on the radio is actually a little bit more simple to play, the way he was playing it. Yeah, watching, yeah. Watching hands. Whenever, whenever you're two, whenever there are two guitarists together in a garage, sometimes the guitarists are watching the drummer, you know, for the pace, but secretly, I always have an eye on, you know, uh, the other guitarist, right hand or left hand. I'm the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Just trying to catch, just trying to learn the songs so that way they can be free to do the extra. Exactly. So that way they can sing a little bit better, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm watching just to learn it for myself. And, and not only that, you'll sometimes like you'll be playing a song and then see someone else play it differently and you're like, oh, that's so much easier. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, shit, I should be doing it like that. Like, why am I, why am I stretching like this or like. Yeah. I don't need, I don't need to add the pinky. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Stuff like that. Power chord. Mm-hmm. power chords really just built it really built my confidence to pick up any song because as soon as i can get a key of the song i just do root fifth power yep. chords for temporary placements of songs. power chords will take you a long long way yeah. i mean in just about 90 percent of green day songs and uh now machine gun kelly songs yeah yeah right 70 percent acdc is acdc's got some more like actual chords yeah yeah you know position chords yeah yeah beginner chords Everyone always says like to, that's, the, that's with like the starter songs, ACDC, because there's just like three song melody or three uh, chord melodies. Yeah, I think my first song that I learned and I actually performed within months, 
I, I learned Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. Yeah, every, that, everyone learns that, dude. But I remember learning a different version of it uh, when another guitarist, um, I think they had like a new lineup change at one point, and they decided to re-record that song. And like the original solo was great on the song, but then I learned like a whole different guitarist's approach to it. And that's kind of what, it made me realize like, oh, this song on the radio, like people are going to get used to hearing this version of the song. But once you dig deep and check out different versions of songs, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's live or with different members recording, you, you start to see different personalities that add pieces to the song, whether it fits or not. And that's what reminded me like a song's a song. But as soon as you add like different elements, like different members of a band, um, different performance situations you're going to get different energy from it and that's kind of what that's kind of what got me into learning cover songs immediately because i'm not just learning guitar songs i'm learning whole song songs and trying to play every part to them see that's that's where we're different because like i always like i just learned the gist of songs and and learn the like i guess like the rudiment like fingerings of stuff and like the just like the chord progressions and then like the, obviously the the skill behind it to actually play it, but I, I rarely like learn a whole song. Yeah. You know, it's it's just the gist, a riff, a basically just taking this piece here, this piece here, and building my own like style, I guess. I mean, Guns N' Roses, uh, when they recorded Appetite for Destruction, like they thought that they were done um, recording songs whenever they did like the simple chords and few slash solos, but. They added some extra riffs during verses and stuff, you know, especially in Welcome to the Jungle Alone, like Slash's extra little licks just add to that song. It serves the song, really. It adds it adds more character and tension. It's not just it's not just a boy band dancing in front of a screen for a music video. It's musicians adding more character and more yeah. tension to a song. Uh, guitar licks make or break shit, dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just that little fucking like lick in the middle of a fucking chord or whatever. And John Mayer nails that too. Oh, dude, he's the best. Yeah, yeah, he's got the best licks. Uh, dude, I'm a huge John Mayer fan. I mean, he's a, a, a Juilliard school musician. Abs knows music theory back and forth. Has played with like the best musicians out there. His keyboard player is uh, Michael Jackson's keyboard player now. It's it's crazy, dude. Like they have this, this ensemble band of just absolute superstars that he plays with. He picks he picks people that are ready to represent these songs and yeah. perform on stage. And and speaking of ready, like for the Grateful Dead to pick him to replace Garcia like that, you, you, that's not my. I wouldn't want want to play that. I I'll, I'll be honest. I I was afraid of getting into Grateful Dead because of the drug culture stuff. Being honest. But as soon as John Mayer got added to that mix, I'm like, okay, now I gotta, I gotta hear him play these songs. Oh, exactly. These are beautiful. What the fuck was I thinking? Being afraid. I was the same way. I've never, I was never really into Grateful Dead, but as soon as Mayer was in, I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll check it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, sh- I should have got tickets. I really should have got tickets to one of those shows. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went to Green Day shows, and people would offer me weed. If I went to a Grateful Dead show, I probably would have dropped acid. But nah. I'll be real, like. That's a win in Rome situation, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think people need to be pushed as hard to. I mean, I don't think people need to be pushed so hard to get into different music or different um, drugs and stuff. You know, I think, I think people need to. 
I think people need to build themselves up spiritually in the state that they're already in before they decide to alter their state, you know, their point of view, state of mind. That's a good point, man. A lot of people are in a hurry, though. You know, they just want to hurry up and get there. Well, are they in a hurry to find a new self? Are they in a hurry to get to the next chapter in life and they think they have to find a new self to get there? Or you just got to keep being yourself and just do little tweaks to find your own role. Even though I remember I remember when our I remember when my first band Civic Duty broke up, the band with Connor, um we broke up for we broke up just cuz uh, we disagreed on a contract. Um, just recording contract we were offered. And I accepted that. I accepted that, like, I I accepted that I didn't have enough songs ready and I didn't know enough about the business. And I still have more guitar playing to learn before I really make a jump like that. Yeah, that's just humility. And, like, it was going to be me as a songwriter for the band. Um, Connor definitely being a great influence on Tell Me What Sounds Good, but... It was pressure on me. So the last show that we did at Civic Duty, I remember we performed. I'm trying to remember the sequence of what happened. Either we performed first or this other band, Limerick, performed, or other way around. But after both of our sets, after Limerick performed, I went over to them, you know, helped them, you know, um, put their stuff off stage, you know, and just complimented, like, I was blown away by their songs, you know, energy on stage. It was like... It was like if Green Day met Blink-182, but also just also just a crazy crazy drummer like Keith Moon, you know. Wow. And, uh, I met my I met one of my first um I met one of my first um jam musician friends, consistent jam musician friends. Um his name is Dylan Stock, a drummer of Limerick. Um after we met then, um there was a little bit of time, but after like a good couple of months, I finally made my way over to their part of town in uh, Waxahachie, Red Oak, and uh, just sat in on one of their rehearsals. They just went through the songs, and I think they invited me to this uh, other gig they had in Deep Ellum, um, and then they handed me their CD, uh, their demo that they had at the time. They said, oh yeah, just learn these songs. Um, we want to hear uh, what your guitar part would sound like to it. You know, that's all it was at that point. And then that's always a daunting task. Yeah. Like when a, when a band just like here, here's our shit, learn it. Well, they weren't they weren't inviting me to the band per se. They just wanted to hear like they heard what I was like with Civic Duty, but they want to see what I'm really like as a guitarist. Sure, yeah. Because their songs compared to what I was writing were, it was like not Blink One Eight Two. I don't know why I compared them. Link they they sound like Foo Fighters. They sound like Foo Fighters, like all the different members of Foo Fighters that went through them. Uh, you know, Dave Grohl has, like, the straight-up rhythm, and uh, his other guitarist, Pat Smear, has a loud um, factor. And then their lead player, Chris Shiflett, just has his own layer. And whenever you listen to the new, the modern Foo Fighters sound, you hear the individual layers. And that's what I heard from Limerick, the uh, individual layers that they had. Like, the bassist, uh, the bassist wasn't just camping at the root. He was doing riffs over a hung chord for however many bars. That's was. cool, yeah. And Every part didn't didn't feel out of place. I didn't feel bored with the songs listening to them. And by the time I would see them live, whenever they invited me, it would be a little bit different from what I heard, but it I got to know their personality through those recordings yeah. to where I can guess what they're gonna do live. And and I especially had a especially had a good relationship with their guitarist, uh, Wesley. Um we 
we hung, we hung out in those uh you know band uh, jam sessions and stuff you know just fed off each other tried to do extra lead licks over their songs but i invited him to this uh, guitar convention and we just we just uh, walked you know in between the booths you know the gibson booth uh, the small mom and pop shop guitar you go to the dallas guitar convention yeah. Dude, i love that one and guitar Lington, i go to those every year i miss it like damn near every year but like I i've been twice and it it's so cool dude you can get pedals on the low there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. super low I mean, these are these are the only two guitars I will never sell. I'm not letting go of these for the rest of my life. Yeah, that, that's how it is with this one. Like, I'll, I'll, I can part ways with just about every other one except for the, the Fender. Yeah, I'm thinking about. I'm thinking one of these times I'm gonna get the whole rest of my equipment and find something cool, something that really stands out in my eye to trade it. I'll keep my equipment in my car until I find it. But mm. I I grab gear because I have an emotional attachment to it. And whenever me and Wes were going in the, going across in the, going across the halls in the guitar convention, I kept on asking him anything that stands out, anything you want to take home. And he said, "All right, I have my budget. I can probably haggle some prices." But I, I heard, I heard what he sounds like on the record, on the sorry, on the demo that we heard. But hearing him jam on these guitars he's never played before, the kind of style of guitars he's never played before. He's a Les Paul guy, much like me. But uh, he was trying out Stratocasters, Telecasters, you know, all these, you know, all these different models, you know, from Fender. He also tried, mm -hmm. uh, he tried a Charvel Sam Medina's model, um, really good super shredder type guitar. But I could tell he, I could tell he was changing his style to try to fit a guitar. And each time, like, he and I would share eye contact, and I'd be like, next booth, next booth, let's yeah. see. And every time he found a guitar that looked good, I just kept on handing him guitars, not even looking at the price tags. And he's like, oh, this Gibson Les Paul, how much is it? $1,500. Fuck. Yeah, I did the same thing, though, dude. Like, I, I, look, I go to the guitar center, and then I'm just like, I see one. They, the really nice ones are up top, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, all the ones at, like, surface level and shit, are, you walk up to, like, obviously the nicest one, and you pick it up, and you're like, ah, oh, shit. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, I think... I think instead, I think instead of showing off that you're selling a thousand dollar guitar, I think instead, and this and this is kind of a thing that I that I really look for in a in guitar culture, the respect in guitar shops. Don't just be a garage guitarist and walk into a shop like you own the place. You're just going to grab the two thousand dollar guitar, sit, yeah, yeah, the lamp, turn it up all the way. Well, I mean, rule number one when you buy a guitar is to ask for the one in the back because you don't want the floor model. Oh yeah. Because that one's been, like you said, they walk in, just fucking sit down with it and start strumming real hard on it, or whatever it might be. A lot, a lot of beginners, a lot of the garage band guys. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think what they should do instead, they should start having signs in front of the price tag saying, ask before you touch. Let, let, the, kids, let the kids pick up the entry-level guitars and go crazy on them, but put the, put the high-value guitars on the high you know, mm -hmm. level and don't let people see the price tags, you know? You gotta I, ask. I remember when I got, I remember when I got this guitar. It was actually gifted to me from my uh, late mom, Amy Rainey, and uh, I remember, I remember frequenting at this guitar center, the same Plano Guitar Center I went to since 2006. Um, man, I forgot what year it was. Probably 2012, 2013. Same year as this model, but my mom uh, said uh, she was picking me up from guitar center like after school, and she said, "Hey, uh, your birthday's coming up. Uh, why don't you uh, look for a." Why don't you look for a guitar to buy? I'm like, oh, 
finally, I, I've just been having like entry level guitars. I had a, a Ibanez Les Paul copy and an Epiphone Les Paul too. Sure, yeah. And it was pretty small. I, I knew I knew what made Gibson sound good. The extra weight to it, um, you know, higher valued parts, you know, pickups and stuff. But I remember when my mom told me to pick a guitar, I was just looking eye level, yeah, bottom level, seventy dollar, you know, two hundred dollars. She said, "Dill, yeah. dill." Any guitar you want, I, and she, t- and she would probably, she probably would have told you this if you ever, if you, uh, if you got to meet her. But she says my neck cracked looking, up, <laughs> looking up at the Gibsons for the first like a cartoon time. scene. Yeah, and like, and I remember just picking a guitar without looking at the price tag. And you know, I said before, like Gibson, you know, you get a good Gibson guitar at fifteen hundred, but a two, this two thousand. All right, I need to get the year right because I. 2012, 2012 Gibson Les Paul Studio. It costed it costed uh, 799 dollars back in that time. That's wild, dude. And when I plugged it in, it was magic. That's um, pr- that's probably like half the price it is now. Exactly. The new modern studios are 1400, 1500. Yeah, I think when I bought my Fender in 2014, I think it was like 500 bucks. It's a Mexico Fender. Say, yeah, Mexico. yeah, it's a Mexico model. It's not. A, it's not a Mex- American, but yeah, it's only five hundred bucks. Yeah, and I think this was from the Nashville. I think this is from the Nashville um, Gibson factory, and uh, I got this guitar and just brought it to school. I think that's how. I think that's how I got Connor's attention. Actually, I got a new guitar, and yeah. He saw me playing with it in lunch, and he said, oh, new guitar. You got a new case with it, too. Uh, let's test it out in my garage. I think that's how the conversation went. Right. Let me ask you this about Guitar Center real quick. When when you go to Guitar Center, do they immediately run to you and, like, can I help you? Like, do you, you need me to get something for you? Like When it's a new guy. When it's a new guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's funny. Like, uh, I went, I think, I think around a week ago, just to get new strings, and this new employee, this new employee, uh, he he and I shared eye contact as soon as I went through the door, but I could tell he was busy, busy with the customer, mm-hmm. and I was just hanging out in the base section, you know, playing through, and as soon as as soon as the customer he was with uh, walked out the door, sorry, I got a little gas, pardon me, um, as soon as the customer was out the door, um, he he didn't walk over to me because there was another customer that was immediately um, walking up trying to get his attention first. He literally says to the customer, "Hold on, wait, sir, sir. If if you need any help from me, just let me know. I'm gonna be busy for a bit." And and I was like, "All right, cool." Yeah. And I just kept on playing in front of this bass amp, and I remember just uh, picking up different basses off the walls. You know, me doing it, and I would look back at the uh, place that they were checking out customers, and then I found. Uh, I found one of my old favorite employees. Uh, his name is uh, Johnny. Uh, I don't know what position he's in now, but he used to be uh, head of the drum department. He walked over to the guy, whispered him something, and you, you know, go to the one down the sh- down the street here. Uh, Plano. Um, Off six thirty five. No. Oh, so you're going? You're going to? Uh, I know which uh, one. Seventy five and uh, Parker. I think. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the one I went to since two thousand three. But, um, I always go to this one down here. That's where I bought that Fender and everything. Yeah. So, so that day I was just in the bass section. wasn't really there for any particular reason. I was just trying to pick up strings. So I get up from the bass section, go mm-hmm. pick up my strings, you know, put them back in my car, and 
this is a secret. If you really want respect from from the employees in a guitar shop, buy buy a pair of strings. At least give them some of your money before you just pick up their any guitar that you want. And I swear, as soon as I as soon as I picked up the strings, you know, bought them, um, bought them, dropped them off my car, came back. I I was trying to go back to the bass section because I was really interested in the bass amp that I was trying. But then this other kid um, went up and plugged into it. Now the exact same guy that said uh, you know to help you know that he offered to help me. He's a he was kind of on the kid's case. I could tell the kid was, a, I guess, a beginner guitar player or I guess a beginner bassist. He was playing it pretty good. But the guy said, hey, ask permission before you just grab stuff off hangers, even though I was yeah, yeah. permission. Yeah, anytime I run into Guitar Center, they just, like, swarm me. Can, can I get anything for you? Need anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Whether they were trying to get a sale or if they're just looking after their equipment, you know? Mm-hmm. But, uh... But by time, but by time that kid was out the door, um, he didn't buy anything. At the end of the day, I was just I was just in the regular guitar section picking up the Gibsons. I'm guilty of that too, though. I'll go into guitar center just to play. Yeah. You know, we just walk around, check out shit. And whenever I know I want to just play, I just make sure to get strings just yeah. to you know get them a little bit in my business. Right, right. You know? Also, because secretly I really wanted to work at that location, but. I'm not the best at selling products. Really. See, dude, that, that's the thing. Like, I'd like to work at Guitar Center. One, one they just don't pay enough. Yeah. Two, like, I, I'm not a salesman. Like, I can't, like, I don't, I don't want to sell shit to you. Like, it, you either want it or you don't, dude. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Otherwise, you're just a musician picking up a paycheck and yeah. letting the customer pick their own poison, you know. Yeah, so, like, I've always, like, said, that, like, when I, like, retire eventually, I'd like to just be, like, a luthier, just working guitars. Yeah, I'd love to build guitars, man. Yeah, like, how cool would that be? Like, you just, just working guitars all day and. Maybe have your own shop or something. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's, dude, not many guitar, like, standalone um, shops. I've seen, like, one or two around here. Like, standalone guitar shops, you know? Not just a line of guitar shops that are popping up multiple locations across. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's like so-and-so's guitar shop, you know? And, and they pop shops. Exactly. Them, yeah. yeah, exactly. Need more of those. There's a good one in Rockwall. Um, what's it called? Morrison? Morrison guitars. Morrison. I, I've seen their booth. I've seen their yeah. booth at the guitar convention. They've got some killer guitars in there too. They they may, they focus on more uh, acoustics. Yeah. I think they have a deal with Taylor. Same thing with Tone Shop guitars. I actually frequent uh, at that other shop, and they right. they're partnered with Taylor too. Yeah. So I guess you just get the buy into their whatever they have, and they just flood you with whatever. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. <clears throat> what um. What's your favorite guitar that you have, though, as far as, like, playing and um, your tried and true, like, number one? You know, Stevie Ray had, like, the one, he called it his number one. Well, six strings to play on and to catch up on my licks. Um, I mean, it, it will it would be a tie between these two, but mm-hmm. it really just depends on the situation. Like, um, playing fast, uh, running through scales fast, um, bending notes, less Paul, you know, less tension on the strings, steel strings. Um, but uh, if I want to try to write a song, chords, man, try to sing on top of it, you do not want to hear me sing. I'm not going to sing today. <laughs> but uh, but whenever I'm trying to write songs, I always write on the acoustic. I always write on this same acoustic, same right. one that survived a crash from <laughs> from second story. So what about uh, what about gear? What's your favorite piece of gear that you have? Let's see. Uh, I'll show them in frame. Yeah, yeah, pick it up. Yeah, so Dylan, Dylan's got brought his whole little mini half stack. Got all his pedals on the floor there. 
pair of pedals. Pair of pedals I got. Pair of pedals. This one. Actually, I have to read to reconfirm what it is. All right, EH uh, EH forty six hundred full chorus. It's a small clone by Electroharmonics. This was the same chorus pedal used on Nirvana's In Utero album. Yep. I bought it off a. Uh, I think Robert Lang, yeah, Robert Lang Studios, a reverb shop, and as soon as I saw it, I I bid my, I bid my bid, which was actually pretty close to how much it sold for back then. And so, just to be clear, that's the one. The one. That's the one from Nirvana's album. Uh, I think I added a few more scratches. I'm using this pedal. I'm yeah. Not just, I'm not just hanging it like a trophy. I'm using this pedal, adding a few extra scratches. Go for it. So this is most likely Kurt's pedal. Yeah. Uh, used box. by Kurt, at least, right? Yeah, it was it was used. Uh, yeah, it was used um, just in the studio. Kirk didn't bring it out. Didn't bring it out again. Um, he bought his own. Uh, he bought his own small clones for a tour. You know, for him to smash up eventually. Oh, so this is just the studio one. Yeah, it's just studio. I, I got you. Okay, oh, sorry, not not Kirk's personally owned. Just got the you, got you. Still cool as hell though. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And uh, I forgot what I used it on. I used it on. I used it as a layer for Connor's song uh, "Forever." And uh, I'll, I'll play. Th- I'll play through the song. Later. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's play through those after you after you uh, show me this next one. Oh yeah. And this is this is the Green Day Dookie pedal, but this is a limited run for Father of All Motherfuckers, and it has the uh, Unicorn decal on it. Yeah, I love this pedal. And I, I only I only use that pedal just as an extra gain stage. Um, I have a uh, I have a Tube Screamer uh, clone, um, the uh, Bonsai Tube Screamer clone. I just classic. Use, yeah, I just use the uh, regular tube. Every like, if, if you like, you're not a real guitar player if you don't have a tube screamer. Oh no. You know, like you have to have the Ibanez. Like, some sort of green pedal has to be in your lineup, or I'm not taking you seriously. You got to have that fucking like that tube screamer in there somewhere. And you've you've got the one that's got like every every year model, right? Oh yeah. Um, I don't think they forget anything. I I was sold. I was sold on the pedal when uh, Anderton's music, um, I think, uh, I forgot which city, I, I won't give false information, it's a guitar store in the UK, and I watched their YouTube channel for like years. And yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, they, yeah. they were... <laughs> They were pretending. They were pretending that they were literally going through multiple different tube screamer pedals, but the guitarist demoing was, you know, his vision was obscured of what actual pedal was being used, which was the bonsai tube screamer, and oh, no way. and all they were doing was just uh, turning the knob through the different patches, and uh, the guitarist had to guess which tube screamer model it was. Oh, I couldn't do that. And uh, he got a good amount of them right. Yeah. But uh, the uh, I think it was. I think it was the pedal's own version of the Tube Screamer that uh, that the guitarist played through at the end. He said, that is not a Tube Screamer. That's not. That is something different. That is from a pedal company I've not heard of. And he kind of had a tone like he didn't like it, but... That's a crazy ear to be able to yeah. catch that. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I couldn't do that. But by the time <clears throat> it was revealed... <laughs> By the time it was uh, revealed, uh, the guitarist Rob Chapman, I'll just say his name, Rob Chapman, he had a surprised look on his face. He's like, no way. All of that was just from one pedal? You guys should buy this. Yeah, you know? a nice little ad right there. Exactly. And that's, that would be, be a great occupation for me to do, too. Mm-hmm. For me to uh, you know, catch up my fingers, um, show off all these different cool techniques, and I'm trying to add that to these, to these guitar products I'm trying to sell, whether it's a whole guitar, amp, pedals, um, 
or even uh, amp attenuators. Uh, I don't know if uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that. Mm. You can you can use your you can use the full output you want on your amp, roll the volume all the way up, but you can also plug in an attenuator to to lessen the whole volume output. You know. Oh, so okay. You can, so you can push the tubes all the way. That's nice. And just less the volume. See, dude, that's that's fucking clever as hell. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I got to try it out one time um, with a. Uh, I'm using my Marshall JCM 800. Uh, you usually don't have the space to just fucking scream like that, you know? And you don't get the full sound of tubes unless you turn it up like that. Being a being a introvert bedroom guitarist, and also one that goes to Guitar Center all the time, you're always afraid of amp volume. That's how I am, dude. I'm all, I don't want to be that guy that's, like, playing loudly or just, like, over the top or whatever. And it's not because I'm worried about a noise complaint. I'm actually pretty conscious of my playing, you know, like... Do I sound good? Is mm. it really a waste of someone's ears, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you make noise, you make noise. If you're loud while doing whatever you're doing, playing video games, yelling at football, you're loud. But if you're saying, if you're making sounds that are bad to the ear, that's that's a big Yeah. Problem. And one thing, this is a big pet peeve I have with some guitarists that play live. This is a pet peeve I have. I don't like guitarists that... Whenever they do, whenever they do their guitar solos, they drag on sustain note and feedback, and it's out of key. It's just noise for the sake of noise. Yeah, yeah, just to make the feedback or whatever. Yeah. And not enough guitarists know, but whenever you do feedback, aiming your, aiming your microphones on the guitar, aiming at the speaker and your amp, you can change your angle that you're facing it at to get different harmonics from a sustain note. You can either get a see a perfect fifth perfect fourth minor third major third you know music it's wild how you can pick up those frequencies like that just based on your angle and yeah and how far you stand away from it too because mm -hmm. uh whenever you push your amp volume all the way you know push the tubes and also add gain stages with pedals you can get cool feedback techniques and i can't really think like which guitarist really inspired me on that um I'll just say the band Toadies. Their biggest hits use the feedback yeah. and breaks the songs, and that, that serves the song, you know? That's not just noise for the sake of noise. That's melodic noise adding tension to a song, giving character to a band. No, I love the Toadies. They're sick. Every time I saw them live, it just, oh, I got to hear this song. I, haven't, I don't listen to that enough, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, Rubberneck, their Rubberneck album, I just listened to that in full. Every time. I don't just listen to Possum Kingdom. I don't just listen to Tyler. Yeah, yeah. From the Water, another great song. I listen to the whole fucking album. That's really what put me on to them, though, is I come from the water. Because mm -hmm. it was so, like, just different. That was, that was one of the covers that uh, Jet had me learn. Jet. Really? Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was in the same vein of, like, um, Peaches. Yeah. You know? It's just kind of like an out there kind of tune, you know? Also, it also reminded me of... Uh, Got Heartbreaker by Led Zeppelin. Right. It's just how the first note starts with a little bend, and you add a different character. You can start it with a bent note, and just keep doing single notes. You know, adding to that, or yeah, you yeah. Add chords to have a different tension. A lot of songs are like that, dude. You'll find that like a, it's it's the same chord, but it's just how you play it, and it it sounds sonically different. Mm -hmm. You know, so you'll end up. It, it, like the tabs will look the, like you're just playing the same chord, but you have to play it differently. You gotta listen to the record. Mm -hmm. And one thing, one thing that helped me play guitar, I'm self-taught. I've had a few lessons, um, went through School of Rock for like one semester, but um, 
I would just watch YouTube videos of Guns N' Roses, Scorpions, and Green Day, and just yep. watch the left hand of the guitarist, Matthias Strabs from Scorpions, fucking killer player. Like his solos on those records, on the singles, are great. But watching his performance live in the Explorer kind of body shape guitar, I love Explorers, dude. Like honestly, like if I could get a Gibson Explorer, it, it's such a like. A, it's just like an iconic shape, dude. That was I literally wanted. I literally wanted that guy's guitar. He had the black stripes at the end of the uh, white explorer. That Hell was, yeah, that was the dream guitar. Those are so sick, dude. And the thing about those, kind of like a flying V, you have to strap them. Yeah. Because you can't you can't play them in your lap. If you if you, if you get a flying V, you know like when you set it in your lap, you have to play it like this. Yeah. And that's good for Instagram too. Yeah. Know? Right. It's good for I guess hand hand structure too, but yeah, that's just one of those guitars you have to play standing up. Yeah. And uh, whenever I think explorers, you just think about these characters that use explorers. Dude, um, Jam- Headfield. Yeah, James Headfield, Rick Nielsen. Um, oh my God. Uh, I I feel so bad forgetting his name. The guitarist from Leonard Skinner. His his licks. On, nah, I can't remember his name either. Yeah, the Freebird solo. Yeah, that's that's an example. But I think Headfield was the guy that made me want one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he makes them look sick. His his signature models with ESP, you know, the LTD models too. Um, they they do look great, but they sound fucking killer. Yeah. Every, every time I try them on at the guitar shops, but here's my thing with gear. I I respect guitar manufacturers that they're trying to just get their products sold, but as soon as you add a signature that sounds better than your usual line, it kind of it kind of gives a sour look to the casual guitar player that's maybe not a fan of Metallica. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. And you don't want to have to have to pay or buy the metallica one just to get the sound you want and sometimes you get the name scribble on the headstock yeah press rod cover Mm -hmm. stuff like that what do you think about you know speaking of john mayer um you saw his latest model that came out it looks just like a strat yeah the silver sky yeah but it's a paul reed smith yeah looks just like a strat it plays great the price point is the price point you know it's it's expensive but you're paying for that John Mayer scribble you on the headstock. You're also you're also paying for you're also paying for Paul Reed Smith trying to sound like a strat that John Mayer would like. Sure, mm-hmm. you're playing John Mayer's guitar, but <clears throat> I like I like signature guitars where it's more in the hands of the guitar company. Um and they're just going through trial and error, sending different prototypes to the guitarists. It might be biased, but like honestly, dude, like my favorite signature signature guitar is Stevie's. Like Stevie Ray's, like they even put the fucking like gold hardware on it. They reversed the tremolo on it, like like his was. Mm-hmm. It, it's like to the to a T, like his fucking guitar. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Fender. I'm surprised. Fender waited so long to do the same with uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, signature models. Mm-hmm. Whenever they flipped, uh, they just had a right-handed guitar for a lefty, or other way around, left-handed guitar for a right. I think that probably has to do with the the Hendrix estate, dude. They don't they don't sell anything unless they all approve of it, you know. And they. That's why you you. That's why you rarely see like Hendrix stuff unless it's like a knockoff. You rarely see like official Hendrix memorabilia. Gibson actually got to release a guitar for a small amount of time using Hendrix's name, approved by the Hendrix estate. Right. And it wasn't a Strat. At least the neck of the guitar wasn't a faithful Strat. It 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 lined up, the, the, the top of the headstock lined up like a Strat, but it still felt like a Gibson Explorer neck, you know? 
I love how like Dean kind of took the Explorer and ran with it. Yeah. And made the Razorback. And fucking Dean Dean's signature models with fucking Dave Mustaine were awesome. Like, yeah. Whenever I tried them at Explorer <clears throat> Center, it made me it made me want to listen to. Well, I mean, not not even even Mustaine, but what about Dimebag Daryl, dude? His fucking signatures are so sick. Yeah, I. I and actually, I really don't think you can get that pinched harmonic on any other guitar except for his model, like Dean. Yeah, the uh, the pickups he has, and uh, the fact that his uh, that his uh, whammy bar, you know, was stayed angled back mm-hmm. there, and he, in his, you can kind of flutter it. Yeah, flutter it, exactly mm-hmm. for that guitar technique. <clears throat> I actually, I got to play one of his. Okay, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember the story, just, you know, so that way there's no false information. I got to try one of his signature models um, used by him. I think he play-tested it for a live gig, one of his stops in Texas, and uh, and I think it was approved. Um, so I don't know if it's, like, an immediate prototype, but I was I was uh, given – not given, sorry. I was let to uh, borrow for one of the cover band gigs with Jet, and I was playing American Idiot, you know, these you – know, Power chord heavy, yeah. you know, more simple songs. On this big ass metal guitar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was awkward. It was my, it was my first time uh, playing with uh, Floyd Rose. I know how that feels, dude. Because when I was in a metal band, I was playing on a Strat. It looks out of place, mm-hmm. but I mean, you, you can make it metal, but it it looks out of place, you know. One thing that makes a metal guitar sound metal is how they angle their pick. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, from string to string, whether it's uh, playing a whole chord or doing your uh, sweet picking, really. Um, a lot of blues guitarists, um, a lot of blues guitarists focus strictly on how hard they strike the strings, whether they have thick strings or not. Yeah, you're getting a different sound. And they keep the same pick angle being straight, straight with their index or middle finger, you know. And also the angle in which you strike the guitar, you can either strum down, across, Mm -hmm. upward, you know. Sweep. Yeah, sweep. Yeah. But uh, how metal guitarists sweep pick, they don't just uh, strike across the strings, you know, straight on. They angle the pick a little bit more on the flat side. Yep. Yep. That's what I do. And they diagonal attack it basically exactly. up and down. Yep. Mm-hmm. And depending on how your attack is, you can just whoop. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Marty, Marty Freeman, oh my God. His his licks on the Megadeth records are beautiful. Hell yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's, uh, let's walk through your pedal board, man. Okay. Plug it in, plug it in. I'm going to have to turn on my loud amp, so it's going to be heard. It might get loud. Hopefully to your liking. (laughs) I always put on a strap whether I'm standing up or sitting down. Is this a rule of thumb ears? Yeah, cause um, cause if you really want to play and if you want, if you want to play comfortably, you can you can be in a performance mood and stand up and let the guitar straddle. I like to let my guitar be right in front of my belt buckle, so that way whenever it rubs up against my leg, I can feel the, I can feel the chords through my body. Mm-hmm. You know, the, each strike of the string, but it does help to stand. To stand your guitar on your leg, so that way you're just at chest length and. Uh, you're not letting your arm go all the way down. It's totally different playing style too, from sitting down and standing up. Like pre-show, I got to get used to playing standing up again, because I, I sit at home and just play all all the time. 
Hold on, I'm still I'm still trying to get some sound oh, out. You're fine, dude. We got nothing but it's all good. There it is. Found the one. Alright, so this is gonna be my guitar sound straight out of the amp. Of course with uh of course with whatever frequencies buzzing. You know that old like guitar uh, joke. Let me hear your clean tone. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, with Les Paul guitars, I'm on my I'm on this pickup, I'm on this mic, and I have to roll the volume down almost to one or two. And it's that hot. Oh wow, yeah. Roll it down to two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's my clean tone, and this is my loud tone without any pedals. Uh, I need to get one Green Day riff out of the way. I'm such a fucking... Let's hear it, man. And uh, I'll I'll pick uh, one of your favorites. I saw you uh, doing one of one of your stories. Oh yeah. Oh, I love hitching a ride. And now I'm gonna do the same riff, but I'm gonna plug in my tube screamer, my bonsai tube screamer. Yeah, a little bit more buzz on the low end, but as soon as I add the dookie pedal. Yeah, that kind of balanced it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I play, Dude. whenever I play covers... I used to really want to play just like the record, but I realized like I'm my own player, I'm my own guitarist, I'm yeah, my own person. Exactly. I just gotta enjoy the music. That's the best way you can get through a song, mm -hmm. playing it faithfully, is if you're really enjoying your time on stage, you know, and you're not sick of the song, you know? Yeah, no. Whether you wrote it or you didn't. I'm the same way, dude. Like uh, that's why I learned the gist of things, because I don't wanna I guess part of me doesn't want to learn the whole thing so I don't get too influenced and only play that way, you know. Stay exactly. stay more original, I guess. And uh Guitar players do call each other on that, you know, like, oh, you're just a, oh, you're just a Green Day copycat, oh, you're just a Metallica copycat, oh, you're just trying to sound like Tool. Dude, but Green Day, talk about Green Day for a minute. They, that was like my, still one of my favorite fucking bands, dude. And like when, I remember when American Idiot came out, dude. It was just such a like slam on the scene, dude. Like at the time, like nothing was out like that, and it just, I remember it just like grabbed me. And, like, that's just what all I wanted to listen to was that whole fucking, like, track, dude. And they didn't have a release. They didn't have a whole album release before then. Before. Well, they had a Greatest Hits collection. Had a couple of, uh, you know, new tracks. It was a while, though. Yeah, I think yeah. 2002, 2001, I think. But I think in 1999 or 2000, they came out with a Warning album. And it was so different from what got them on the map, uh, Dookie. Yeah. All the singles off that. And when Warning came out, it was a lot more... 
personal songs from Billy Joe, the songwriter. A lot more acoustic elements. Um, they had the, they had a one song called Misery. It kind of reminded me of uh, Sopranos and Godfather you know, yeah. and stuff. You know, man, that kind of makes me think. I kind of wish they did uh, one of James Bond's themes. You know, <laughs> that'd be kind of cool. Green yeah. Day cover of that. And Billy Eilish loved Green Day, so that would have been that would have been a great opportunity to get them both on the same soundtrack. I personally think. But, That'd be uh, kind of cool, yeah. But yeah, uh, American Idiot, um, it was so welcomed by the rock world because Green Day, Green Day were known to camp at a certain sound after their first record. Yeah. Or at least after their Insomniac. This is really like a breakthrough sound for them. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, they really, they really. And now they're like identified by that sound, yeah. which is crazy, you know. They did American Idiot and they had these songs that blended into each other like a the who record like a quadrophenia or a tommy you know they had these rock opera you know super special songs they also did a the who cover off a 21st century breakdown bonus track a quick one while he's away they did it on that and yeah 21st century breakdown was a good follow-up after american idiot but here's my opinion they they really try to just bank off American Idiot with that record. And the only song that's, the only two songs that are played as a live stapled off that record were uh, Know Your Enemy, that, Do You Know Your Enemy? Um, it just has a, it has a good memorable, you know, guitar hook. And that's like maybe 60% of the whole song, you know? And whenever they did the riff rock, yeah, good riff rock, but they, when they recorded that record and it sounded so much like American Idiot, it was a step up. The guitar solos and mm, I guess recording techniques were a lot better. They, instead of uh, instead of recording with Rob Cavallo, they recorded with, uh, I feel so bad forgetting his name now, um, the same guy that did uh, Nirvana's Nevermind. Um, they decided to record with him instead. Uh, it'll come back to me later, randomly. But uh, I could tell that the layering really helped him utilize more different guitar because when, uh, when Green Day came out with uh, American Idiot, they actually filmed the process of it and eventually released it many years later. Yeah, Bullet in a Bible, right? Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's actually, my favorite. Actually, that, that concert film, yeah, they didn't show enough footage of the recording process, though. Yeah, they really wouldn't. It was just mainly on the concert at Milton Keynes. And I think the concert, and I think the uh, film that showed the American Idiot process was Heart Like a Hand Grenade. That that's was, what it was. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, and so many good mem- so many good memories as a Green Day fan to just watch happen, especially Billy Joe crying over him. I think uh, it was either When September Ends or uh, What's Her Name. He was just crying to... Uh, his uh, best friend, Mike Dern, um, laying down the bass part. I think that's the last thing that needed to be done in that record. And uh, he said he was hungover, you know, and he was just crying over those emotions. But I think I think everyone in that room knew that this record would be great. Mm-hmm. Album of the year. And it got a fucking Tony Award for the uh, musical version of it, American Idiot on Broadway. I forgot about that. Yeah, they, they did a whole-ass musical about that. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing a report on it for my theater teacher, and... <laughs> It was the grade that kept me with the passing. It was the it was the assignment that kept me with the passing grade. I almost failed theater. <laughs> How the fuck do you fail theater? 
I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You just don't show up to class. You don't, you know, yeah. you don't practice your, uh, you don't practice your projects and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, when, uh, when Green Day were done with, uh, when Green Day were done showing off, uh, you know, touring a uh, 21st century breakdown, they, they had a, they had a small break. They had a small break and then they came out with Uno Dos Tre. And it was a collection of songs that they just had to, just Honestly, like, never got into those. Exactly. Yeah, it was just kind of a, a flop for me. It reminded me. It reminded me of a band that was trying to sound a band that's trying to sound like ACDC, Cheap Trick, and yeah. uh, the Beatles. Yeah. A lot of power pop stuff like the Beatles, you know. And, but it also just sound like a Green Day record. Green Day were sounding like the typical Green Day sound that they were sounding like before American Idiot again. Now, when I as a fan. As soon as I listened to the trilogy, I actually listened back to those records a lot during that time. Also because I was in a relationship at the time, you know, in my feels, you know. And then I went back to the other Green Day records. I didn't listen to enough uh, Nimrod. And that's when I re-fell in love with Hitchin' a Ride, you know, that single off it. And all the other singles. That's my favorite song from them, dude. Yeah. It's, it's so, like, just out of place. Not typically, like, what they do. Yeah, it's it's a... Uh, it reminded people of Alley Cats, Stray Cats. So it, it reminded them of the yeah, show. yeah. And it had a little chromaticism, kind of like they did for a uh, Brain Stew. Um, I think it's in a different tuning, but I'll compare the two. Uh, Brain Stew. And uh, Hitching a Ride. Yeah, real chromatic. Yeah, yeah, and that's how that's how you that's how you kind of sound metal in a way. Really, you're not just camping. You're not just camping at like a major minor key one four five. You know, you know. One of their influences, Ramones. Yeah, I love the Ramones too. Well, okay, I have to do one more riff from them. Oh yeah. Ramones was the band that like got me into punk music, and those, then those records. Yeah, it, it it went from the Ramones, and then I, I studied like the whole like I say studied, listened to like the whole fucking like catalog of like classic punk, and then got into like No Effects. Yes, yes. No Effects for me was like the punk band. I'm I'm sort of glad for them. I'm happy for them that they're gonna take a break. I, I know, or stop. They're gonna yeah. Stop. They said they're splitting up. Like they're, they're doing their last year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Fat Mike is over it, I guess. Yeah, he. That dude's a mess anyway. Though. He's a mess, but he, he really did keep the glue together for, like, yeah, the punk scene. Really, mm-hmm. not, not not just pop punk as a whole, not Machine Gun Kelly, but he he helped so many bands recatch their drive, signing them onto their record distribution. I think, right, uh, right. Uh, Fatcords Records, I think, or Records. I I forgot what it is. I don't. I don't. No idea. 
But uh, I I respected I respected No Effects in the in the stance of they stuck with their sound, they stuck with their theme of songwriting. Mm-hmm. But also, golly, Fat Mike knows how to raise some eyebrows with his dude. That's what I was about to say. He's he's never afraid to be offensive. Yeah, never. <laughs> Please. He calls out he calls out guitarists on their guitar technique, and whenever he recorded bands, he said, "Your guitar is great. You you love it. You, you love your guitar. I'm going to show you a better sounding guitar." And it was just a, uh, I think a Jaguar or something, or a, I don't know, it was another offset model. But he said uh, that guitar helped helped make him break a lot of uh, punk records that they recorded. Sure. Bands, and i want to say descendants used it one of my other favorite punk bands but yeah i love them too probably didn't um and oh i actually have a actually have a story um and whenever whenever i bring up like whenever i bring up the names of people that like i mentioned like influenced me like it can either just be from one meeting or just you know me re-catching up with them and you know my, my friend jet had an impact on me definitely um for me starting out as a musician but I I was visiting Sam Ash just to change strings on my guitar that I hadn't touched in like a couple of months. I actually took a break from guitar for a couple of months after my mom passed away. I also took a break from school too. But um, I went to the Dallas location in Sam Ash and just wanted to get some new strings, you know, instead of me going closer to in town, Plano Guitar Center. I just wanted a different guitar shop. Yeah, sure. And it was my first time going to that location. I met the drummer from uh, Descendants there, uh, Bill Stevenson. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and I was, I was lucky. I was lucky to meet him because I just remember walking in, getting the strings, going back to my car, and I'm like, eh, I'll try out some new guitars. Fuck it. And I decided to walk over to the drum section, and I think he was just getting new sticks or some shit, restocking for his uh, tour stop. But uh, I just randomly had struck up conversation with him having no idea who he was i didn't listen to descendants black flag all yeah all before meeting him that's kind of heavy punk stuff to be into yeah. yeah and heavy in the scene anyway oh yeah influence influence alone like the bands that came up after after those bands started making records you know Gr- green day inspired you know so many people but there were pop punk bands even before green day that eventually inspired green day too i think mm-hmm. so like I just started a random conversation with him. Um, I asked him, like, uh, oh, what makes you pick your favorite thing of sticks? And I forgot his specific response, but he, one thing that he said in that uh, tangent he went on stuck with me. He said, as long as you find yourself in the music, don't let go of it. Don't let go of it until you think you've mastered your your angle at it, you know, whatever you do, what, whether you're great at playing chords, ripping shred solos, if you yeah, find around, your niche, if you smash the fuck out of your drums on time, you know, with good absolutely. Technique. Yeah. Find what you're good at and stick to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like Bill followed me to the guitar section. I kind of felt a little bit intimidated, not just cause, not because I knew him at that point, knew who he was, but they're just like, eh, like, and then this guy's kind of being fast friends with me or oh, whatever. So I just I plugged in, I plugged into a Marshall stack, and uh, I I played at a certain volume. But then Bill just moves his hand across the master volume, cranks it up almost all the way, and I started playing. And then looking around at the employees, and the employees gave me a thumbs up for some reason. Yeah. And I just 
played through songs I knew, covers, and he said, all right, now show me some of your stuff. I know those covers. I know those Green Day songs. I got sick of those. Like, okay, fine. Let me show you stuff I did with Civic Duty, stuff I was doing with Connor at the time, and he was impressed with them. And he said, all right, now freestyle, whatever you're good at, freestyle, and just try to make a whole three-minute thing. Like, he was kind of teaching me. He was kind of teaching me, like, how to be put on the spot Mm -hmm. and how to respond to something in your comfort zone or out. And if someone wants to hear you shred, they want to hear you shred. If they want to hear you play a cover song, you play it. That's kind of the the curse of being like the guitar player because they're like, play Monkey Boy. Yeah, exactly. Play your songs. Play Wonderwall. Play Wonderwall. Yeah, exactly. But uh, with the command he gave me, he said, uh, all right, now make a composition. Don't just freestyle. Make something that sounds like it's put together. And... Uh, I don't know if I can play it again now, but it was just it was just a good collection of chords. I jumped key, jumped keys a little bit, and he said, "Dylan, you remind me of my old friend uh, Frank Nevada, which was the first Descendants guitarist that played on the early uh, Descendants records, um, all the way up to Milo Goes to College, which was their sentimental, um, famous release." And I didn't I didn't know how heavy that statement was until I looked up who they were and now here's the thing he he left the store before me and i i just you know unplugged my guitar and got ready to walk out the store and then the guy that gave me the thumbs up he said dylan you know who who that was right yeah and i'm like no and he said well look up these bands oh you know what? i'm gonna buy he li- <laughs> he literally bought me a, a descendant stock descendants documentary film he bought me that and just had me watch it and by the time i was done with that i was fanboy i was such a big fan of their music just it was a combination of teenage angst uh loud vocals from a from a fucking school nerd Mm -hmm. the guy as soon as they were done recording milo goes to college the singer left to finish college because he wanted to go to college and that's when the guitarist frank nevada quit the band actually to uh I think just move with his family or something. He literally set all of his equipment on fire and moved to uh, be with his family instead. That's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah, and from what from what Bill said in the documentary, they had a real rooted, deep friendship that was beyond the music. And when I heard uh, when I heard he passed away many years, you know, before me and Bill meeting, and when he said that, like I, I took that to a good heart. And I went to every concert. I went to every concert in Dallas that they showed up at. I didn't try to go backstage or anything. I didn't want to bother. I didn't want to bother Bill about that story. I, I would like to tell him that that meeting rekindled a fire in me. But I feel like I still have more to prove before I put myself in front of my idols. You know, I love to meet Dave Grohl from Foo Fighters, Nirvana, and tell him like how much he meant to me. But man, I. I still have so much to learn on guitar, mm-hmm. you know. And well, they say don't meet your heroes anyway. Yeah. 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 But sometimes they can motivate you, like you were saying. They can. They yeah. really can. Yeah, like you, just a random occurrence like that, mm-hmm. you know, they'll motivate you. So let's do this, man. Let's uh, let me have you go through. Just pick pick one of the songs. Uh, one of the songs you do with Connor. I'll stick with uh, I'll stick with Forever. That's a song we're trying to push. All right, for. let's let's do that. I just want to have you kind of like break it down, go through it, like. I wrote this, and then we transitioned to this, or however you went about it. What you're using on the yeah. pedal board, like just just kind of break it down for me. All right, I'll just I'll tell you how the 
I'll tell you how the song came about with words, and then I'll explain through how how the parts uh, how the parts uh, match the vibe of the song, and how we had to select um, what parts stayed in the song and which ones didn't. That's always a hard. Yeah, you know, because uh, whenever whenever you're trying to write your own stuff, by the time you're recording, you realize like, ah, eh, that part of the song's too busy. It'll probably uh, you know distract the listener a little too much. Dude. So the song started out with a girl I was seeing, Shocker, and uh, you know we a song about a girl. Yeah, it was a very <laughs> song about a girl. Um, and and let me just say right now, I did not help out with the lyrics in the song. Connor nails lyrics every time. All I told him was what inspired me to have a certain guitar riff. And admittedly, I was trying to have this song be my song, but I learned to swallow my pride and just you know. It's you know as a guitar player like. Your job is to like bleed through on the track mm-hmm. most of the time and solo, but it takes a skill to like be able to just like ride the wave and just like be in the background and let let someone else kind of shine. And that's and that's especially what that's especially what's kind of keeping me. And I mean this in the best sense of the word. That's what's keeping me grounded through the years I'm going through right now. Yeah, you're playing your role. Yeah, I'm playing. I'm playing my role. That's what it is. And I'm still finding myself as a musician. Sure, I'm able to do certain things, but I need to pick the aspects that really define my technique mm-hmm. my playing my character my yeah guitar playing is not all solos and clean licks it's, some of it's boring riffs and, and rhythms and it's literally your expression across six strings all strings with different thickness you can play one note on one string and it sounds like you know the note but as a guitar player you can tell when it's a you know bottom e string or a b string playing a note hold on And uh, yeah, all those are E's. But um, if you're a guitar player, you can tell like which octave that is, which string is striking that. Sure. Yeah. You listen to it enough. Yeah. You, yeah. You'll know which string it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, all right, going back to a forever. Um, I wrote the song about a girl, and uh, I had. I had, uh, I think, like three sections written, but on the song Forever, we ended up uh, using a simpler version of one of the sections, but then uh, we just scrapped like all, all the rest of the parts of the song. But by the time we were in the studio, we we pieced it together pretty good. Um, so you already had the riffs down? Or, I had the riffs down. Yeah. I had the uh, drive of the drums. I The chorus of the song kind of rips off Nirvana's Drain You just a little bit. Um, not necessarily the space between the second snare hit. Uh, I was about to try to like, uh, I'll try to spell it out with words, but you have to like hear the song. Yeah, you have to hear it, man. Yeah. That's what I love about like being in a band. Like sometimes like you learn this language with each other. Yeah, that, that, that. So play like that, and you have this like language between each other and like no one else will like really understand it unless you spend that time with each other building that shit. That's what, that's what garage bands, that's what being in garage bands, you know, taught me just language, you know. Whether people went to music theory class, went to high school music classes or not, you just find your own language to absolutely to explain the madness. Music's madness; it really is fucking madness. Oh yeah! You think it's fun until you get into it. So let's let's break uh, go go through the intro, I guess first. I'll do all the parts in sequence, and at the end, I'll show you what the original thing was. You know, just to get the attention right. right on.
and back. I, l- I love that echo on that. Yeah, good reverb. Oh, yeah. I'm using a Holy Grail um, for a reverb. I think just the hall. Let me change to the Aflurb. Let me change to the Aflurb and see how it sounds. Yeah, I didn't think I would like anything that doesn't... I, I wouldn't think I'd like a reverb that wasn't hall, wasn't spring, but this this Flurb thing that uh, Electroharmonics uh, Holy Grail has, it's pretty good. Uh, that's cool, yeah. And it and it matches the volume of the pickup outputs. You know, luckily it doesn't just have like a flat um, uh, tail in. Yeah, yeah. The sound of it. And that and that will sound different from the record, but you know, I play That's live cool. the way I play live. Now let's. So how'd you go about uh, creating that intro? Let's see. Um, the original version of the song was. Pretty basic, yeah. Almost math rock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel a little bit ashamed uh, you know, calling it that because math rock is far more complex. Alternate tunings, you mm-hmm. know, jazz musicians playing them. It's beautiful. I mean, I think of Polyphia and uh, Mike Henson. And uh, I'm also thinking about American football. Um, American football has a just... They laid the uh, groundwork for a late 90s early 2000s emo rock mm-hmm. and they took a break and now they're back together not with all the original members but man i'd love to see them live now uh let's see and and uh the last part and the last part of the uh, chorus uh was uh it was actually it was in the vein of another guitar part i had written for the song but I realized, like, in the recording session, I'm like, eh, that's kind of taking over too much. That deserves to be its own song. Just uh, Let me just play Let me just play it over real quick. I like that little vibrato right there. Yeah, and I remember when when we were recording the drums for the chorus, um, we needed something to and to leave room for a vocal um, hook. So we just we decided just. Uh, I think Brandon the, I think Brandon who recorded me told me uh, what was that last chord, and I'm like okay. And I did it in that way. He said play exactly like that, to the end of the drums. Ready, and. Uh, he told me just to do the one chord, but I realized, like, ah, uh, like. So you have, like, the main one in F. Starting on the uh, C note. So I decided to start out with. You know, j- just to add that. And uh, it fit the song. And I'm trying to think, are those all the sections in the songs? Uh. I know I did. I did multiple layers um, of chorus and reverb through the verses. Yeah, but uh, whenever I play live, we're not using backing tracks as much. I just, uh, I just do a different version of it. Especially to uh, 
especially to remind the vocal vocalists, um, you know, which notes to a pick. Because uh, whenever you're just going through like all the notes, you don't really hear all the notes. Because uh, whenever you pick across strings, you kind of skip um, notes that you sustain. Yeah, yeah. Unless you do let them all ring out, but uh, whenever you get to a certain point, you're able to skip strings and just select. And you can also use your left hand to mute the string to prevent it from like fretting. To so is, is there anything that you do on that track specifically um, differently live rather than on, in the studio recording? Just the verses. Just the verses. That's it? Yep. What, do you, what are you changing up? What am I changing up? Um, blunt in my hand, ash hitting the floor. Liquor in our veins, know you feel it for sure. And uh, it just, it kind of helps give a rhythm, um, adding the single notes. Yeah. It, it makes it a little more harmonic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel you on that. Yeah. And also, it's just how it's just how the different members that we have in our band just interpret their part in the song. Um, our drummer Ethan, he he nails our live shows. He really keeps the band together. Um, at least like at the pace of the songs, so that way we can have enough stage time. You sure. know, we're not dragging, slowing down songs. We're yeah. also not speeding up to where Connor can't breathe, you know, singing and stuff. He's a good seasoned, ex experienced musician, really, and he he says he's self-conscious about how he plays our songs. I say he he adds something to the songs. But but for a live version of a song, I, I I believe I believe in the concept of whenever you write a song, you can try to record it like how you would play it live, but it has to sound good on car speakers and got to do the car test and also yeah. commercial test if it will line up and sound good and fit in a commercial sure selling a product or you know selling a vacation a cruise line you know yeah that's that's immediately that's immediately what me and Connor thought of the song this can be a summer hit it can be a beach song it can be a college that's track. a summer smash for sure yeah yeah and it's no power chords i'm coming from a pop punk standpoint i'm not just doing I, that makes it stand out to me. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's a it can kind of be a hook. Uh, the guitar part alone can be a hook. You know. Yeah. But if you're a seasoned guitar player, you're like, ah, that guy's just trying to be a little bit extra special. All right, we'll give you that. that that's at least why I think whenever whenever guitar players judge each other, it's either because it's either because the person that's given the feedback wants to get to that level. Oh, I want to be metal. You know, playing. I want to mm -hmm. be. I want to be Dimebag Daryl. I want to be Dave Mustaine. But a lot of guitar players these days are really trying to sound like Tim Hansen from Polyphia. Absolutely. And I can appreciate that, actually. It's the influencer rock, man. It's just like... it's, Dude, I don't even know how to get started at playing that shit. First off, you got to have the right guitar for it. Yeah, no. You know no, what I'm no. saying? Like, no, I'm not even going to You have to have the right guitar. You're not going to just pick up like a, a fucking Les Paul or a Strat and play that. You, you can't. You're not going to get the harmonics out of it. Oh, and let me let me say one more guitar player that deserves recognition for influencing like bedroom guitarists and string guitarists. Uh, Nito, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the name wrong probably. Nito Ichika. He he does thirty second to sometimes a minute solo guitar jams. Also comes out with EPs where he's playing over beats, but he knows how to play guitar by itself. And 
be in the vein of Tim Hansen, but also just jumping keys, alternate guitar tunings, maybe even having all the strings be tuned to E, you know, and finding a way to riff and do melodies on top of mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I mean, they're not playing in, like, standard tunings. Yeah, stuff, yeah, like, stuff, that. stuff like that, exactly. Mm-hmm. I love that they're from Fort Worth, too. Yeah. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then they're, like, killing the fucking music scene. And, and, I lo- and I loved how when they showed up to the So What Festival, that's when their in-ear monitor system went down, or their beat system went did down. Did you? Yeah, did you see that? I saw the footage. Yeah. I should have been at that show. I really his fucking been. stage hand was keeping tap form on his leg. Yeah. Especially hitting hitting him in the back yeah. of his they also, the drum dude, set. They also got a bunch of shit for that, that show for playing with fake Marshall Hashtags. You know, you know the old fucking thing where they put the fucking the, the cab... Yeah, but it's an empty cab. Wall of cabinets. Literally. Exactly. They're trying so, to Van Halen. So it. they're just making a bigger stage presence, but everyone's giving them shit for it. But, but let me say, it's hard to it's hard to make your band's set memorable by the music alone. You're you're an entertainer. You're an entertainer. Your makeup has to be a certain way. You have to be consistent with the songs that you pick and mm-hmm. the outfits that you pick. You got to mm-hmm. fit the theme of your tour so that way people can recognize. Oh, it's this band that's on now. We're gonna go walk halfway across the stadium to go yeah. see them. That's what a lot of people don't understand. The, the artists I see anyway, especially rappers, they, they get in the scene, get in the music scene, and then they, they're just like, oh, well, I'm just going to get on stage and perform a song. Like, no, dude, you're an entertainer. You're, you're there to perform. You're there to entertain. You need to rehearse something, come prepared. You're not, you're not here for you. You're here for the audience. Yeah, exactly. You're not here to boost your own ego. Yeah. So I, I guess just to kind of wrap all this up, let me ask you a question about um, – how are you going through time right now, man? Is time something you worry about? Is how are you experiencing time in your life? Time can really be judged on what goals you have set in front of you and how far along you're willing to wait for goals to meet their end, you know? Okay. And my goals right now are to keep finding my own place, keep finding my own place and where people may need me. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, I'm doing guitar stuff for a Connor, um, working uh, my construction job yeah. with my dad, and uh, you know, saving up to uh, be able to make it to gigs, get the equipment for you know my next journey in guitar. But as for my goal in music, I I have way I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of chord I have a lot of chords that are put together trying to make songs out of them, but I. I always find myself resetting my lyrics. And part of that reason is because uh, I lost my cell phone and I used to put all my phone notes, all my lyrics on just phone notes. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a dumb idea. I used to write down my lyrics. I'm guilty of that, dude. My, my notes are full of stuff. Just ideas and lyrics, whatever, you know. So like, so like right now, so like right now, I'm just, I'm waiting for the next burst of inspiration with um you know with connor of course but also with uh, these these other these other projects i've dabbled in you know uh my friend's a uh, band limerick um i i was invited to a studio mm-hmm. session i was supposed to track guitar but i did a food run also you know helped him uh helped him pay for the studio session not on my pocket or anything i just uh mm-hmm. you know i just took care of uh took care of uh, getting the money out and stuff under someone else's bank. But anyway, by the time I got back after that run, um, they were stuck on vocal parts for one song, and they were already done tracking guitar for another one of their friends, uh, 
good, a good friend of theirs uh, named Kareem. Um, he he nailed his parts, and I was listening back to uh, how you know the songs that were expected, I was expected to a play were sounding, and I'm like, those are good on their own. Um, you guys are doing vocals now, right? Just focus on vocals the rest of the day. And uh, all I really did was just bring my equipment in, had mics set in front of them. I don't know if any of them, any of the amps were used or anything, but by the time I was back and I heard how the record sounded, I uh, it was probably the wrong decision. But I just told them like, "Hey, you guys, you guys are the friend group." And at this point, at this point, I'm just uh, I'm just another musician that jammed with you guys. You know, when I was able to and. I'll be honest, like, I was doing this mainly for me. And um, by the time uh, they were recording, by the time they were recording that record at Fort Worth Sounds, and I heard uh, what their friend was sounding like, it fit. To my ears, it fit, because I knew what the song sounded like, and mm -hmm. he added, like, plenty of good layers. But um, it turned out that uh, that wouldn't be the final lineup. Uh, Kareem would eventually leave the band, and... Whenever me and Dylan uh, hang out, he said, oh, Dylan, you should you should have just tracked some guitar, man. I'm like, well, maybe next time. And I focused on working with Connor for a while. And, you know, he and I jammed a few times one-on-one. -on -one. We also tried to start another band with, uh, with this guy named Alan. He worked at a Lancaster uh, instrument shop. I ended up buying a, a X-Tone uh, Semi hollow body guitar with the Bixby on it. I love semi hollows, dude. And it, yeah. the guitar itself, it had a couple had a couple of dings on it, a couple of good scratches, and he was worried that no one would buy it because of that. The first day the guitar was in the shop, I demoed it. The pickups were hot. I liked it. Call it an impulse buy, call it what you will, but I picked it up immediately right there. Yeah. And brought it to rehearsal. I've done that a few times. Impulse buy a guitar. <laughs> yeah. Now the one guitar I think got away um it was this rare harmony um full hollow body it was a full hollow body uh, harmony um electric guitar and um it didn't fit it didn't fit my first band's vibe it didn't fit mm -hmm. Duty's vibe um i wasn't really wasn't really wasn't really that much of a clean guitar player like, that guitar sounded good with cleans, you know? Mm. But uh, by the time I distorted it, it was just a lot of feedback yeah, and yeah. stuff. I get so. that. I used to play on an old, uh, like, Dan Electro full hollow body, and it's, it's just a clean guitar. <laughs> but, yeah, dude, let me, uh, let me give you a chance to just kind of, like, throw anything out you want. Yeah, and I want to have you, like, play us out with something, if you're cool with that. Yeah, I'll play a little something, and then I'll uh, come, up with a good, come up with a good outro. Now, I do actually multitask while I play guitar. Sure, I'm thinking up like lyrics or like for guitar parts, but you know, I'm, you don't have to sing nothing, man. I just I just want you to play something like, for us. Like, I'll be I'll be making faces. So I'm actually actively yeah. thinking about what's expected of me. Well guitar face is a real thing, dude. Yeah. The song is called uh, Stargazer. I'll probably release this song uh, eventually in the future. No promises.
Uh, I feel like I'm on a roll. Let me show you one more thing. Now play Wonderwall. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I was in the right cable position. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little out tune. Fuck it. Same chords, different capo. Let me transition to electric real quick. Right. Not trying to take over, but might as well play with something loud. Hell yeah. Yeah, so y'all be sure y'all follow Dylan on everything. You can catch him on stage with Connor Gibbons. Uh, I'm a fan, dude. Dude's an excellent player, excellent musician. Uh, yeah, check him out. So yeah, follow me on Instagram at peace underscore my guy. You may also find me on, uh, I guess, uh, Battle.net, you know, all the all the games on Battle.net, Blizzard and stuff. You'll find me under peace my guy. And uh, I'll just be anywhere the music takes me, really, anywhere uh, life takes me. Yeah, I love that, dude. And thank you so much, Nick. Thank yeah, dude. So hey, that. like I said, when, when we met and you helped me out at the Greg's Fest, you made a friend, dude. So I appreciate you coming through. This was a lot of fun. Everyone that stuck around, I know this was a long one, super guitar-based, but if you stuck around, I appreciate it. Like and describe, subscribe, all that. Y'all be you, we're going to be us. Later. Describe how you felt in the comments section. Yeah. If you'd like to see raw, unedited live episodes, follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash what's up with that. To watch full episodes of what's up with that, subscribe to us on YouTube at youtube.com slash what's up with that.